We've all been hurt. We all carry scars. We can all overcome these things and be healed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's build that relationship together right here. Welcome to Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. Hey everybody, welcome back to the sanctuary. It is so good to have you here. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. So right now, we are working our way through the book of Joel as we finish off the 10 least preached books in the Bible, which I absolutely love um, because there's so much here that that just gets forgotten about. It skimmed over. You know, a lot of people that go through and I've talked about this in the past, they'll pick certain things. And unfortunately, quite often, a lot of those things get taken out of context, which is why we go through the Bible the way we do here so that the context is there. You get the whole piece of it, not just a sentence or two that can be twisted or misunderstood or misinterpreted. We, we, We see the entire piece of it here. Now, with that said, have you ever noticed how people love to post the memes that talk about how Noah had warned people about the impending flood and nobody listened to him then, just like nobody's listening again to the warnings today? It's pretty regular, isn't it? And if it's not that meme, then it's something very similar to it, you know, and and while it gets pitched like a slogan it does hold a certain amount of weight. Throughout the Bible, and especially as we've seen, as we've explored uh, these 10 books, it is a theme that is ongoing. People start to enjoy themselves, and they get caught up in the world. They get complacent. And what happens is they start taking things for granted. They start taking God for granted and all of his blessings. But, As the Bible's told us, as we've learned from his word, the day is coming. And we are closer now than ever before when God's about to say, I've had it. And it's time for a reckoning. Enough is enough and it is time for a change. God has given us warning after warning. As we saw last week, He even said to make sure that it's passed on from one generation to the next. See, we're coming up the line into that, excuse me, we're coming up to that line that's been drawn in the sand. And once we cross that, there's no turning back. And that's exactly what we're looking at here. However, for those who believe the faithful, the followers of Christ, Christians, you know, we're, we're also looking at the hope that we have in God's promise to take care of us and to forgive us. So with that said, let's pick back up where we left off last week. For those who follow with their Bible and for those taking notes, we're diving into Joel chapter two. Um, this week, I'm going to read from a slightly different translation, mix it up a little bit. Um, This week, uh, I'll I'll be reading from the NASB. Um, Of course, you know, stick with what you're comfortable with. That is part of the beauty of having so many translations out there. And if you have a question about a certain translation, let me know. 
All right, so diving in here, Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Indeed, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. As dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it, to the years of many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame devours. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. The imagery here is changing the scenery really quick. And it it is, it means very literally what's going to happen, right? The word is telling us of a darkness that's going to be covering the land, covering the world. And it's going all the way back to Genesis to show the contrast See, and if you look at it here in verse 3, it mentions Eden. Eden, of course, we know as the glorious garden where everything be- began for mankind. That was a start for us, right, um, here on this earth. You know, a place of absolute beauty. However, what we're headed for is a complete 180 degree opposite. It is the opposite. We, you know, we need to be prepared. Darkness and fire consuming everything. So we've gone from that beauty to something just absolutely just dark and bleak, right? And if you think of the fires that we just saw in Hawaii and the devastation there. And that's just a scratch of the surface of what's to come. Now, I'm not comparing what happened there to what's going to come. I just, I mean the fires in general and the devastation that it left in its wake, Right? See, we, we've already started to see the beauty of this world being stripped away in many places. However, the problem is people have become numb to it. People, you know, people have just kind of got like, oh, that's, that's just the way it is. That's life. Yet to people like you and to me, we're looking at it as, hey, we're one day closer to the end. But for them, it's Tuesday. And time, people, time is running out. It's running out. Fleeting is, isn't the word. If you haven't made a choice about whether or not you want to follow Jesus, you need to. Now's the time. You can't wait it out to see where things are going to go to make that choice. Because in doing so, whether you realize it or not, you've already made that choice. And that choice is one that's going to lead you to ruin and damnation. Revelations chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, the Bible says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish 
you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You see, by not taking a side, you don't know Jesus. And because you don't know him, you don't have a relationship with him. So in doing that, you're leaving him with no choice but to send you away. You're making the decision for him. The Bible tells us in Luke 13, verse 27, but he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. The word is saying that we have to make a choice to follow now or it's going to be too late. That if we don't get to know Jesus now, then he won't know us when we stand before the Father. And let me tell you, it's getting real dark out there, people. Real dark. Continuing on in Joel chapter 2, verse 4 through verse 11, the Bible says, Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses, so they run, with a noise of as of chariots. They leap about on the tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble like a mighty people drawn up for battle. Before them, the people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. They run like warriors. They climb the wall like soldiers. And each of them marches in line. Nor do they lose their way. They do not crowd each other. Every warrior... I'm sorry. Yeah, every warrior of them marches in his path. When they burst through the defenses, they do not break ranks. They storm the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. Before them, the earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon become dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. His camp is indeed very great, for mighty is one who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? Uh, you know, I, I love the imagery here. I don't know about you if you've ever read it, um, but just the way the way it talks about you know, this army coming through the mountains and everything, it reminds me of uh, the old, old uh, you know, li- uh, literature, uh, Beowulf. You ever had to read that in school, you know, just that, that fire army just kind of snaking its way through to the fort. Um, now, if you recall, um, back in chapter one, I said that the invading army is more likely to be an army as opposed to locusts. And we're seeing more of why that makes more sense now. You know, war horses... This is not your typical horse. The breeds that have been chosen over the centuries have been very specific. You know, much like troops in the field, they have certain traits that are needed in order to fulfill their missions. You know, speed and agility, you know, those are the traits you think you'd find. However, you'd be wrong. Unlike the movies, these horses need to have strength and size. 
You know, they're 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 very they're huge. They're you know they're they're truly workhorses. You know, par, pardon the, the pun, but I mean they, they are they're massive. And, and you know the ability to act properly under stress, the desire to work hard for the the writer or you know master. You know to to learn things quickly on the fly because typically they're not trained you know for very long because it takes a long time to train a horse um in addition to that you know that to carry other essential duties even if their rider ends up being hurt or even killed you know and, and on top of that loyalty loyalty you know these are just some of the most important things that are sought after in the horses that are chosen to be war horses so they have a certain appearance to be sure you know, just the sight of them coming, let alone, you know, an army. So, you know, there's there's a sound that comes with that. You know, you, you would see them and you would hear them before you could even make out their riders. You know, that in itself is enough to just strike fear into those who see them in the distance or hear them and recognize the sound. You know, because there's certain things, you know, you, you, you come accustomed to in life, especially in the military, uh, where you can hear something, you just, you know the sound. You know, the, things have very distinct sounds. All right. Now, the army that's coming with them, this isn't one that's going to be stopped either. You know, this is this, this is Lord's army. He sent them. And they're coming straight at you. I mean, you can close the door and you can try to hide. This army doesn't care about that. They're out to win at all cost. There is no win, lose, or draw. It is just win. And they're going through. You know, even if that means sneaking through the window like a thief, as it says here. One way or another, everyone will face the onslaught of this army. When God says something's going to happen, you can bet your bottom dollar that that is exactly what is going to happen. And there is nothing, nothing anyone can do about that. There is nothing anyone can do to change that. Because God's word doesn't change. For those who stand in the Lord's crosshairs, destruction. Utter destruction. Yet for those who know him and follow him, will be witness to his victory and his glory. However, as Joel is starting to tell us, and will continue on to tell us, the land drying up was just the start. This invasion will be even, you know, it's going to be a bigger shock than anyone will ever realize. We're talking shock and awe. Like never before, you know, people people are going to be starving, thirsty. You know, uh, their their fortunes dwindling away, trying to figure out how to feed their families, their kids, and then this is going to come at them. And that's just wow. Continuing on in Joel chapter two. Verses 12 through 14, the Bible says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, 
and tear your heart and not merely your garments. Now, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, and relenting of catastrophe. Who knows? He might turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, resulting in a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. See, God tells us right here that people need to turn back to him before it's too late. Repent of your sin before it's too late. See, we're told to fast. Remember, a fast, this is about self-sacrifice. And to truly, you know, not, not you know, it shows that you truly mean and that you're showing that you're sorry for your sin. It's not about the lip service. It is an inward and outward demonstration that you need God in your life and you need God to help you. You know, even, look here, it says, the tearing of clothing, you know, the, is right, you know, the tearing of clothing is mentioned right here. And we see this a lot in the Bible. And it is literally talking about tearing the very clothes you have on. You know, we see we see this in like in old movies and stuff. Where they're just like, oh my Lord, and they're just, you know, hulking out, right? Tearing that stuff off. You know, it's that moment when you're so distraught. You feel that you're not even worthy of the very clothes on your back. And like I said, you just start tearing at them, you know, like Hulk Hogan just ripping that shirt off. Just, right? God doesn't want us to be condemned to hell. But we need to be the ones who make the choice. He's given that to us. That is our power. That is our decision to make, not his. We need, we have to choose him or we have to choose the pit. Those are our two choices. There's nothing in between. There's nothing else. God or hell. Time's ticking. Time is ticking. All right, going back into our reading here, Joel chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The Bible says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, Gather the children and the nursing infants. Have the groom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priest, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare your people, Lord, and do not make your inheritance a disgrace with the nations jeering at them. Why should those among the people say, where is their God? This right here, this is one of the many great places in the Bible where we're being told to come together as the church. You know, there's those out there who say, oh, you know, I don't need the church. God knows my heart, you know, things like that. They're missing the point. God is telling us right here in his word to come together as the church. I'm not talking about just going to some building. In Matthew 18, verse 20, the Bible says, For where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. 
not alone, not where one is, together as the church. Now again, I'm not talking about just cruising down the road to a building that they call the church. That's not a church. It's a place of worship. Right? I'm talking about gathering with other believers. That, that's where the church is. That's what church is. Not some religious place of worship. Not some place that is out there trying to sell Jesus. Actually coming together. This is talking about coming together in a place where believers gather and fellowship together. All God's people together. A family gathering, if you would. God's family. Worshiping together. Repenting. Praying for help. Praying for forgiveness. Praying for mercy. And being a light to the rest of the world. Showing that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. Being that beacon to those without hope and those who don't know Him. So that we can make that introduction Continuing on, God provides an answer to these prayers. And verses 18 through 20. The Bible says, Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have compassion for his people. Sorry, we're back in Joel. Um So Joel 2, verses 18 through 20, Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have compassion for his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied in full with them. And I will never again make you a disgrace among the nations. But I will remove... The northern army far from you, and I will drive it into a dry and desolate land. Its advance guard into the eastern sea, and its rear guard into the western sea. And its stench will ascend, and its odor of decay will come up, because it has done great things. See, God loves his people, his children. Right here, Joel He's changing gears. He's going from the damnation of those who turn their backs on God to the outpouring of love on those who turn towards God. When people turn from their sin and lean into Him, this is why having a relationship with Him is so important. Think about it. Some people, they make you angry, frustrated. And while you may forgive her, you know, forgive, forgive whatever it is that upset you, you still don't want anything to do with them, right? However, when it comes to family, we are all a lot quicker to forgive and move forward together. And that's not only what God has asked us to do, but what He's doing for us as well. He'll take care of us and he'll see to our needs. The promise that God will forgive us if we turn to him, 
this shouldn't just bring hope, but it should encourage us as well. And, and this in itself is an example of how we, what, what true, I should say, this is an example of what true forgiveness really is. You know, you're like, oh, we forgive you, but stay away from me, right? You know, a lot of divorced people are like that. It's like, you know what, I forgive you. You know, it's been, some time's gone by, but just stay away. You know what? You're still holding on to that grudge, right? And it's an easy one to hold on to. Forgive them, wish them well, pray for them. Doesn't mean you have to interact with them or anything any further, right? But true forgiveness, it's like, you know what? Let me pray for them, pray for their best. And then move on in life on the path that God has for you. That's true forgiveness. You can't keep harboring that hate. I know, easier said than done. But it is the truth. All right, so let's look into this a little bit more. Joel chapter 2, verses 21 through 27. The Bible says, Do not fear, land. Shout for joy and rejoice. For the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, animals of the field. For the pastures of the wilderness have turned green. For the tree has produced its fruit, the fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. So shout for joy, you sons of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has brought down for you the rain, the early and latter rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain. And the vats will overflow with the new wine and oil. Then I will compensate you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust. My great army which I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God. Who has dealt with you? Excuse me. Who has dealt wondrously with you? Then my people will never be put to shame. So you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. And my people will never be put to shame. While the day of the Lord, you know, it's this is something for unbelievers to fear, to be scared of, and they absolutely should be. However, for believers, this is something to look forward to. While those who don't follow Christ will face judgment and justice, those of the faith will find the Father's forgiveness love, mercy, and grace. Now, while God forgives those who follow Him, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind you that this does not give you, me, or any of us the free reign to just do as we please. The whole, if it feels good, do it. Nope. Can't do it. See, that is what leads to complacency and of course complacency leads us into sins rather 
we need to draw closer to God and continue to do as he has asked us to do. See, God pardoning our sins, God pardoning my sins, God pardoning your sins, it is a sign that our relationship with him has been restored. What it does not do is give us a hall pass to just do whatever we please. It does not mean that our lives will be without struggle. It does not mean we will be financially wealthy. Anyone who says otherwise really needs to go back and read the Bible again. Because the Bible actually tells us that there will be hardships in life. Like it or not, that is a fact. That is biblical fact. We are promised that God will love us, provide for us, give us direction and purpose, and forgive us. That's what His Word promises us. See, God's promises that even after this judgment comes, His people will be restored. This section holds another message of hope for us. That no sin is so great that He can't restore you. Whatever your sin is, whatever your circumstance is, if you come to the Lord, repent, and truly open yourself to Him, not only can He but he will restore you. When you become a true believer and a true follower of Christ, your past is forgiven right then and there. You're not bound as a slave to that sin or sins or your history anymore. You are free. And the Bible tells us that when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. See, whatever's kept you bound, whatever's kept you chained, it's been removed from you completely. It's on you to walk away from it at that point. And that's often the problem, isn't it? We get set free from stuff. We know we're set free. It gets kind of scary though, doesn't it? And what happens? Well, when it comes to sin, it's the same thing that you see uh, in uh, with jails. Uh, you know, with the, I believe it's called recidivism. People get out; it can be overwhelming. So, what happens? They go right back and get themselves locked back up. And sin is no different. We're we're set free. We know we're free of that sin. And then what happens? Things get tough, and we go right back and try to get reattached. Because we know what that sin is and the, and we get confused for it being the lesser evil. Instead, what we should be doing is going to the Father for guidance and listening to what He tells us, following the path that He has set for us because that, for all of its obstacles, all of its bumps, all of its potholes and everything else, that path you stay loyal and you forge through it and it will lead each and every one of us, you, me, all of us, to a bright and new future with Him.
all that loss, all that loneliness that you feel, it can be filled, but only with Jesus. Nothing else is going to fill it. Nothing else is going to satisfy you. Other things might satisfy you for a very short time, but only for a short time, and then you're going to find yourself wanting again. See, without Jesus, you'll never find the fulfillment that you're looking for. So now we're going to move into the promise of the Holy Spirit. Join me now in Joel 2, verses 28 through 32. And the Bible says, It will come about after this, that I will pour my Spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. And even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and it will come about that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be those who escape just as the Lord has said even among the survivors whom the Lord calls for those keeping the score this is talking about the Holy Spirit Old Testament and New, you know, we're told about the Holy Spirit. You know, some people get caught up with the, the, the term Holy Spirit's not used here. Right here, he's saying my spirit. There's a lot of things, you know, if people got caught up, I was like, well, show me where that's at. You know what? Even in the Bible, it doesn't call it the Bible. There's a lot of stuff in here that people get hung up on that they shouldn't. It's petty. And it shows how they lack in faith. See, this passage in particular, it's important to note because it's what Peter referenced in his sermon at Pentecost. And, and, and we, can, we can see that in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. At a time when the Spirit becomes available to everyone, which he now is. Sent by Jesus after he died, was resurrected, and then went to be with the Father. The Holy Spirit is with us at all times. You don't have to wait to talk to him. You don't have to go to a specific person. You don't have to do certain rituals. None of that stuff has to be done. It doesn't matter what your status is. It doesn't matter what your class is in life. God has poured his spirit out on each and every single one of us. And we can all call on the spirit at any moment. We can call on him any time. Any time. How glorious is that? That God loves us so much that he removed the middleman from the equation. He took the door off the hinges and said, hey, let's chat. And you think about it, it goes all the way back, you know, when when Jesus was crucified and the curtain was torn or the veil was torn. All that having to go to a certain priest or anything, all that ritual and all that where only a certain person could go in and they had to tie a rope around, all that stuff. Done. We have direct access now. And that's not all. 
As we see in verse 30, the Holy Spirit also blesses us with gifts. Gifts meaning talents. Not everyone is going to have the same talents. And that's good. That is a good thing. We don't all need to have the same stuff. There's a reason for these gifts. They aren't just menial things, nor are they intended to be just for us. These gifts, they're tools. And these are tools that we we are supposed to use in response and in answering the Great Commission. One, to share the good news of the gospel with others. Two, to introduce others to Christ. And three, to praise and worship the Father. Everything is to His glory. And we should always have that at the front and center for everyone to see. Everyone. Now, if what we've covered here scares you, good. Because if you're not a believer... This is, this is a wake-up call. This is calling you to check your own heart. That's the intention. There's no better time than now to profess Jesus as Lord and begin following Him. And if you are a believer, this should not only bring peace to you in any struggle that you're dealing with, but it should also serve as a reminder of our calling as Christians. God loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. Why? Because you matter. To him, you are somebody. You are somebody worth dying for. Which is what Jesus did. That's why Jesus accepted the cross. Because you are worthy. And you are somebody. You are loved. And you are blessed. Now go and be the church. Thank you all for joining us here today at Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. Please like, subscribe, and share our podcast on any platform it is that you tune into us on. If you do have any questions, any prayer requests, or would like to know more about our ministry, you can find us on our website at bethelightsanctuary.org or on Facebook at Be The Light Sanctuary. Uh, You can also find how to contact us there, whether it's direct message or email. We look forward to hearing from you all. God bless.